Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And actually, actually my lips are kind of tired today, to be perfectly honest, because this is my second show back to back. First, it was cryptocurrency. Now we're going to talk about relationships and betrayals and all the, the post-traumatic betrayal syndrome that goes along with that. So we're kind of covering the gambit today, but that's OK. Or the gamut, excuse me. But, you know, sometimes you have to cover the gamut. And I, I'll tell you, honestly, our, our guest here is Dr. Debbie Silver. She's going to be telling us all about this good stuff. But Debbie, this is like this is par for the course around here. Just like how many different areas of life can we talk about? Because there's just so much to talk about. We're going to be talking about some pretty cool stuff here. But first of all, thank you for joining me on the program today. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Looking forward to our conversation. And, and I have to say, I have never heard of it, this idea of a post-betrayal syndrome. Let, let's let's take a step back. What are we talking about when we talk about betrayal? There's a very specific uh, functionality going on there. Yeah, sure. Well, let me back up. And so this way, everybody knows who I am. Uh, this is, it's actually my 30th year in business. And as life would morph and change, so would business. So I started in health and then mindset and then personal development. <laughs> and I had a really painful betrayal from my family. And I thought I did everything I needed to do to heal. And then it happened again, this time my husband. So I, that was the deal breaker, uh, got him out of the house. And, and I, I looked at the two experiences thinking, well, what's similar to these two? Of course, me, but what else? And I realized I never really took my boundaries seriously. You know, a, a boundaries mm-hmm. getting crossed. I never took my needs seriously. And I'm one of those believers that if nothing changes, nothing changes. So here I was, four kids, six dogs, a thriving business. And I was like, that's it. Going back for a PhD. <laughs> and it was in transpersonal psychology, the psychology of transformation and human potential. Because I was changing so much, I didn't quite understand what was happening. He was too. Wasn't ready to look at that. And then it was time to do a study. So I studied betrayal. What holds us back? what helps us heal, and what happens to us physically, mentally, and emotionally when the people closest to us lie, cheat, and deceive. That study led to three groundbreaking discoveries, which changed my health, my family, my work, my life. So to answer your question, uh, I define betrayal as the breaking of a spoken or unspoken rule. And every relationship has them. The way it works is the more we trust and depend on that person, the bigger the betrayal. So let's say a child who's totally dependent on their parent, parent does something awful, that's going to have a different impact than let's say your coworker taking credit for your idea. Still sure. a betrayal, different yeah. level of cleanup. Different different feeling, yeah. Different totally, Absolutely. Different experience, different level of victimhood, the whole, whole nine yards, really. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, when you mentioned um, health, it, it cued an idea in my mind. Um, listeners are going to wonder, where's Dan? Where's Alex? Well, Dan is going to be uh, missing in action this week and next week. He'll be back the following week. Alex, unfortunately, has had another medical setback, and so she's not going to be able to join us today. But, Alex, we're thinking about you. We're sending love your way. And, girl, you got to heal. I mean, you, Debbie, you would not believe what this, this poor woman has been going through. She, she has a very rare version of fibromyalgia, something Aww. that the experts have never seen before, and she's going yeah. through all kinds of heck. But uh, she, she's a trooper, and, and you mentioned boundaries. The intro that I have when she's on the show says that she is the queen of boundaries. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking about her as well when you were yeah. talking about what you were talking about, saying, Alex, keep those boundaries up and, and keep working on that healing because, man, we need you back here. We love you very Well, much. and it's interesting because, and we'll, if you'd like, we can get to the three discoveries. Sure. And an unhealed betrayal is so often at the root, and it doesn't have to be anything that happened recently. It could be from something that happened decades ago. Mm. When I share one of the discoveries, you'll see the different symptoms, illnesses, conditions, even disease that are so common. 
Well, all right, then let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it. What are the three breakthrough areas that we need to know about? Sure. So the first discovery was originally I was studying betrayal and post-traumatic growth. And post-traumatic growth uh, is, I kind of look at it like the, the upside of trauma. How that, <laughs> I love that. Know, the upside of trauma. <laughs> yeah. You know, death of a loved one, disease, natural disaster. You, you know, we, we tend to just look at the negative, but the truth is sometimes you, you leave an experience like that and you, you realize life is short. The little things matter, things like that. That's, mm -hmm. there's, you know, that's a piece of post-traumatic growth. But I, I'd been through death of a loved one and I'd been through disease and I was like, mm -mm, betrayal feels different for me. Okay. I didn't want to assume it was the same for all my study participants. So I asked him, if you've been through other traumas besides betrayal, does it feel different for you unanimously? They said, oh my gosh, it's so different. And here's why. Because it feels so intentional, we take oh. it so personally. Yeah. So the whole self right? is shattered. Mm -hmm. Rejection, abandonment, belonging, confidence, worthiness, trust, they're trashed. And so they all need to be rebuilt. So it didn't quite qualify as post-traumatic growth. It's like, yeah, you need to rebuild your life, but you also need to rebuild the self. So I coined a new term, post-betrayal transformation, which is the complete and total rebuild of your life and yourself after an experience with betrayal. That was the first discovery. Post, let's repeat that phrase again. I want to make sure I've got that down. PBT, post-betrayal transformation. Transformation, post-betrayal transformation, transforming, rebuilding the self. That was the phrase that caught my attention. Yeah. I, it never occurred to me that the self would have to be rebuilt. I mean, it's, it almost sounds like a carburetor, but uh, I'm sure you mean more than that. That, that what, what does that mean when you say rebuild the self? What exactly is that? Yeah, when, you know, think about it. Let's say you lose someone you love. You grieve, you're sad, you mourn the loss, life will never be the same, but you don't necessarily take it personally. You don't lose your ability to trust. You don't feel like, you know, you're going crazy. You don't lose maybe a sense of belonging or confidence, you see? With betrayal, because of that intentionality, it feels so intentional. So all of those aspects of the self are destroyed. And can't, you know, and, and it's not, it's not the same thing where we just grieve the loss. We have to rebuild the self. And here's the thing. Many people don't. And that's why an unhealed betrayal will follow you around like a shadow until you intentionally and deliberately re, uh, heal from everything that was affected by it. So for somebody like me who hasn't experienced that kind of betrayal, how mm -hmm. can I understand what that that fractured self looks like. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and generally, like, here's how you'd see it. You'd see it in health, in work, in relationships. For example, in relationships, I, I see it in one of two ways. The first way is repeat betrayal. When someone goes from friend to friend to friend, partner to partner, partner, boss to boss to boss, what the heck is it me? Yes, it is. Not in that it's your fault, in that there is a big lesson needing to be learned. Maybe the lesson is you are lovable, worthy, and deserving. You need better boundaries in place, whatever it is. Until and unless you get that, you will have opportunities in the form of people to teach you. Like, look at my own experience. Here it was. It was my family, right? And then a couple of years later, it, it was my husband. And I was like, that's it. Something has to change. I had never done anything like that, like enroll in a PhD program. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know how I was going to manage the time, but it changed my whole life. And now, thankfully, the lives of thousands of others, right? But it's in that lesson where you say, that's it. 
something big has to happen. It changes everything. So anyway, repeat betrayals is a sign that that lesson has not been learned. Classic. The second way is people put the big wall up. They're like, nope, been there, done that. No one's getting near me again. We think it's coming from a place of strength and it's not. It's coming from fear. And, and so that's how you'd see it in relationships. We see it in health. People go to the best, most well-meaning doctors, coaches, healers, therapists to manage a stress-related symptom, illness, condition, disease. At the root of it, very often is an unhealed betrayal. We see it at work. People want that razor promotion. They deserve it, but yeah. their confidence was shattered. So they don't have the confidence to ask, right? Or they want to be a team player, a collaborative partner, but the person they trusted the most proved untrustworthy. How do they trust that boss, that coworker, that partner? Shows up everywhere. What you're describing, I, I've never been through the kind of betrayal you're talking about, but I have been through the experience of feeling shattered because I couldn't get to where I thought I should be able to get to, mm -hmm. um, and where I just literally had never had the confidence to accomplish whatever it was. For In my case, um, very early on, I, I was always a very, very introverted person growing up, extremely introverted. I was so, mm -hmm. put it this way, I went to my 40th year high school reunion, and the most popular girl in the class came up to me at one point and said, I had no idea you were as tall as you are. I, I'm six foot eight, so I'm pretty tall. She And, and as I thought about it, I realized, well, yeah, when she, when she last saw me in high school, I was 6'6". Six, six. In my junior year, I was 6'4". My sophomore year, I was 6'2". So I could kind of understand it. But it also occurred to me, there was probably another reason why she, she was never aware of it. She never saw me. I was always in the background. I was always in the, always in the shadows. Mm -hmm. So later on, when I tried to <laughs> figure this one out, when I tried to do sales, I had nothing to fall back on. I had no training. I had no experience. My parents couldn't help me with it. I had, I had no teachers and I, I kind of pushed myself out there and I actually made sales my first time. And then I just got into the total fear mode and it, it almost destroyed me in a sense. Mm -hmm. It didn't really, but it, but it felt like it at the time. It felt like I was being destroyed. What I actually learned later on was it was actually strengthening me, but I didn't know that at the time. In fact, we have a Debbie, by the way, who's in the live stream, and she just made a comment in the live stream. She said, truth, I found my inner strength after my husband of 25 years abandoned me. Honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened for me. That's what happens. But that's what happens when you're moving towards post-betrayal transformation. I'd love to get to the other two discoveries so Debbie okay, can see exactly the work she's done. Okay. okay. So the second, the second uh, discovery was that there's this collection of symptoms, physical, mental, and emotional, so common to betrayal, it's known as post-betrayal syndrome. Now, we've had probably 70,000-plus people take our post-betrayal syndrome quiz on our wow. site to see to what extent they're struggling. Now, here's what's so interesting. Men and women, just about every age is represented. Almost every country is represented. Every every few months, I pull stats from the quiz. Would you like me to share them? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, there's a question. Here's the thing, too. We've all been taught time heals all wounds. I have the proof that when it comes to betrayal, that's not true. Oh, okay. Because when there's a question on the quiz that says, is there anything else you'd like to share? And people write things like, my betrayal happened 40 years ago and I can still feel the hate. My betrayal happened 35 years ago. I'm unwilling to trust again. So this stuff stays with you until you intentionally and deliberately heal it. So anyway, here are some of the statistics. 78% constantly revisit their experience. 81% feel a loss of personal power. 80% are hypervigilant, 94% deal with painful triggers. The most common physical symptoms, 71% have low energy, 68% have sleep issues, 
63% have extreme fatigue. 47% have weight changes. Now, in the beginning, maybe they can't hold food down. Later on, they're using food for comfort. Mm. 45% have digestive issues. And that could be anything. Crohn's, mm. IBS, diverticulitis, constipation, diarrhea, anything. The most common mental symptoms. 78% are overwhelmed. 70% are walking around in a state of disbelief. 68% are unable to focus, 64% are in shock, 62% can't concentrate. So now think about it. You can't concentrate. You have a gut issue. You still have to work. You still have to raise your kids, right? That's And that's not even the emotional issues. Emotionally, 88% experience extreme sadness. 83% are very angry. Very common to bounce back and forth between those two emotions. 82% feel hurt, 80% have anxiety, 79% are stressed, just a few more. This is why I wrote the book, Trust Again. <laughs> yeah, 80, to get all the statistics in, right? Yeah, no, because of this next one, 84%, 84% have an inability to trust. 67% prevent themselves from forming deep relationships because they're afraid of being hurt again. 82% find it hard to move forward. 90% want to move forward, but don't know how. Yeah. That's a pretty severe story being told by those statistics right there. A thing that really caught my attention, too, I mean, uh, above and beyond the obvious that there are so many traumatic aspects of this uh, this whole experience that they're still experiencing all these years later, mm -hmm. how many of them are in the 80% range? There's like a lot of them. I kept thinking about the 80-20 rule when you, when you were mm -hmm. writing about that. Mm -hmm. and, and what it was saying to me is this is this goes beyond your survey. This is a, a way of describing a prevalence in society that I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily all tied to betrayal, but I can certainly see how a lot of it could be. Well, and it, what's even more staggering about these numbers, and you're absolutely right. You didn't hear me read one stat that said 20%, 30%. These numbers were yeah, high. They're high. Yeah. But what's so mind blowing to me is these statistics could be from something that happened when you were a little kid could be mm. from that girlfriend or boyfriend in high school. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So now imagine that person may not know, care, or even remember. And here, you know, we are walking around with anxiety or gut issues or sleep disturbances from something someone did decades ago. That's what betrayal does unless we heal it. Now, here's a, a kind of a challenging question for you. How much of the let's say I'm trying to figure out how to, to word what we're describing here. We're describing an experience that, ha that carries on long after an experience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the experience that carries on long past the experience, how much of that is about the experience itself and how much of it is about the perception of the person who went through the experience? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, you can, you can, if you, if you can envision this, it's almost when it actually happens, it's about the person. It's about, you know, the person who actually did this. And then as time goes on, it is so much less about that person and so much more about the meaning we're making mm. from that experience. Mm -hmm. Because it's really, uh, it's, it's up to us what we decide to do with it. And there were also three groups in my study who did not heal. And, um, it just, you know, I'm, I'm reminded about by what you just said. The first group, they just had their story and they were sticking with it. So yeah. that would be that person who, let's say they were a little kid and something awful happened. That was their story. They were sticking with it and they didn't heal. Mm -hmm. The second group, they were numbing, avoiding, distracting. Mm -hmm. They were in so much pain. You know, they were like, they just decided I'm just going to do anything to just, you know, make this easier. 
and may it may have made it a bit a bit easier, not without a price they didn't heal. So these were the people who ran to, let's say, the doctor who put them on a mood stabilizer or anti-anxiety medication, or they started drinking or emotionally eating, right? So they thought it was making it easier, not without a price. What was so interesting to me was the third group. This was the group where the betrayer had very little consequences. So whether it was out of financial fear, not wanting to break up a family, just fear of whatever, uh, religious reasons, that was a big one. They just did all they could just to turn the other cheek, put it behind them. I saw two things with this group. Number one, a further deterioration of the relationship. And number two, this group by far was the most physically sick. Very interesting. Yeah. Especially Your broken heart sick. can't handle that. That's very interesting. Well, I mean, there have been a number of people over the years who have uh, drawn the the line, so to speak, between how we feel and what we think about and what kind of diseases we have in the body. Certainly, that that's a concept that's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. But to put a statistic like that to it, that, that really just kind of brings it home, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. betrayal is one of those things that is, it's such a shock to yeah. the body, to the mind, to the heart. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the most painful of the human experiences. I mean, think about it. This was the person or these were the people who gave you a sense of safety and security. So when this is the person, these are the people mm -hmm. to shatter that sense of safety and security is traumatizing. How much, of, how, how much of the experiences are experiences where there was a, um, it's always, it's always difficult to, I was about to put deliberate in there and then uh, I can't, I can't really put the word deliberate in there where there is clear intent by the person who caused the trauma versus didn't really intend it, it came about by accident, so to speak. You know, when some, it, when someone is betraying someone, like I said, it's a breaking of a spoken or unspoken rule. Okay. And that relationship had it, you know, whatever that rule was, when, when there's been an established spoken or unspoken rule without the other person's awareness and consent, when the, you know, someone breaks that rule, it's a shattering, it's a shattering of trust of expectations, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, it's, you know, most people think just, let's say, uh, relational betrayal. There are so many different forms you know, two people can be in business together and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the money's gone, right? Or siblings can say, we'll take care of mom and dad one day and then the day comes and where are they? I mean, mm -hmm. it, there are so many different forms. We can feel there's just a betrayal of expectations. That's the times we're living in now. You know, yeah. the expectation is I can do my thing and, and go to work and have my routine and send my kids to school, whatever. And then all of a sudden, nope. Right. It's so it's a betrayal of expectations. And, and, and that was the, that's a great word. I love that. A, a betrayal of expectations, a great term, I should say, um, because a betrayal of expectations, expectations may or may not be based on what somebody else said, but it could be based on what they perceive that they said or should have said or implied. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, though, whatever the betrayal was or was the perceived betrayal. The idea is you don't have to stay stuck. That actually, that was the third discovery. For me, this okay. was the most exciting. And what we learned was while we can stay stuck for years, decades, a lifetime, and so many people do, if we're going to fully heal, and by fully heal, I mean those symptoms I read of post-betrayal syndrome to that whole rebuilt place of mm -hmm. post-betrayal transformation where you've rebuilt yourself, you're going to go through five proven predictable stages. 
And what's even more exciting about that is we know what happens physically, mentally, and emotionally at every stage. And we know what it takes to move from one stage to the next. Healing is entirely predictable. There's a roadmap for it now. And I'm happy to share the five stages if that would help. Yeah, go for it. Why not? Sure. So they're all mapped out in trust. Again, it's what we teach within the PBT Institute. It's what our coaches are all certified in. I'm going to give you sort of a boiled down version right here. Okay. Stage one is a like a setup stage. This is before it happens. And if you can imagine four legs of a table, the four legs being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. What I saw with everybody, me too, was this real heavy lean on the physical and the mental thinking and doing and kind of neglecting or ignoring the emotional and the spiritual feeling and being. So if you have a table with only two legs, it's easy for that table to topple over. Well, that's us, right? Uh, stage two, shock, trauma, D-Day, discovery day. This is the scariest of all of the stages. It's the breakdown of the body, the mind, and the worldview. Right here, you've ignited the stress response. You're headed for every single stress-related symptom, illness, condition, and disease. Your mind is in a complete state of chaos and overwhelm. You cannot wrap your mind around what you just learned. This makes no sense. And your worldview has just been shattered. Your worldview is your your mental model, the rules that govern you, that prevent chaos. Don't go there. Trust this person. You know. And in one earth-shattering moment or series of moments, all the rules have just been shattered. Mm-hmm. Your the bottom has bottomed out on you, and a new bottom hasn't been formed yet. So it's terrifying. Yeah. But think about it. If the bottom were to bottom out on you, what would you do? You'd grab hold of anything you could to stay safe, right? And sure. stay alive. And that's stage three. Survival instincts emerge. It's the most practical out of all of the stages. If you can't help me, get out of my way. How do I survive this? You know, where do I go? Who can I trust? How do I feed my kids? Here's the, here's the, the, the challenge though. This is by far the most common place to get stuck. Most people stop and stay in stage three. And here's why. Once you've figured out how to survive your experience, because it feels so much better than the shock and trauma of where you just came mm-hmm. from, we're like, whew, this is good. It's not good, but we don't know that. And because we don't know there's a stage four or stage five, transformation doesn't even begin until stage four. But because we don't know there's anywhere else to go, we start planting roots here and parking here and four things happen. The first thing is you start getting all these small self benefits from being here. You get your story, you know, you get to be right. You get someone to blame, Sure. You get a, right? You get a yep. target for your anger. You get sympathy from everyone. You tell your story. Yeah, right. You don't have to do the hard work of learning to trust again. Can I trust you? Should I trust you? I forget that I'm not trusting anybody. So you plant deeper roots. You're not supposed to, but you don't know that. And now because you're here longer than you should be, the mind starts doing things like, well, maybe you deserved it. Maybe you're not all that great. Maybe this, maybe that. So you play at deeper roots. You're not supposed to, but you don't know that. Now, because this, this is, these are the thoughts you're thinking. Well, this is the energy you're putting out and like energy attracts like energy. Mm-hmm. So now you call situations and circumstances and relationships towards you to confirm you. Yep, this is where you belong. The misery loves company crap. They come along now, right? And it gets worse, but I'll get you out of here. Because because it feels so bad, but you don't know there's anywhere else to go. You, you don't know how to, you don't know what to do to, to Mm. escape this. So right here, you resign yourself. You're like, this stinks, but I have to find a way to get through my day. So you start using food, drugs, 
alcohol, work, TV, keeping busy, whatever it is for you, just to numb, avoid, and distract yourself from what's so painful to feel or face. So think about it. You do it for a day, a week, a month, now it's a habit, a year, 10 years, 20 years. And I can see someone 20, 20 years out and say, that emotional eating you're doing, that numbing in front of the TV, whatever it is, do you think that has anything to do with your betrayal? And they would look at me like I had two heads. And say, it happened 20 years ago. <laughs> All they did was put themselves in stage three and stay there. Does that make sense? Yes, makes total sense. In right. fact, as you, what, what, what's the, do you have, do you have a label for, for stage three? What do you call stage three? Survival instincts emerge. Survival instincts, yeah. Cause when you were describing that survival instincts stage, all I could think about was the way that people often, so often present themselves in society. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't necessarily know what happened in the background, but we can see the, the call it the coping mechanism mm -hmm. that people use to get through their lives to deal with the stuff that goes on. And we don't necessarily see how the trauma is coming up. We don't necessarily see what goes on behind closed doors, but we can see the persona, the role that they've taken on, how they play it. it it's almost like watching a character on a television show. Exactly. You know, we, we, we can actually see the whole thing. And, and you see it a lot. I mean, the, I would say, it, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the vast majority of the population. Ab absolutely. And I found it. Well, here it was trust. So trust again maps out the five stages, but everybody was getting stuck in stage three. So from hard to healed is just for stage three. I'm mm. like, you, you bothered going through the experience. Don't stop there. You owe it to yourself to, mm. to go through it. Now, here's the thing too. We can, we can land in stage three and that's when we become hardened, not healed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to necessarily be from something traumatic. It could be, I mean, here's just an example I talk about all the time. Let's say there's, you know, a little kid and he has some earth shattering news to share with his mom and he races into the kitchen and she's on the phone and she's like, shh, she shushes him right there at that very moment. She could have, he could have made that mean to mean I don't matter. Sure. Oh, easily. Yeah. And then. All he does is keep that idea going. It builds up some momentum, right? He adds some emotion to it. Mm -hmm. Now it becomes, you know, a little more than a thought. And then you keep that going. And then your mind says, oh, I didn't realize you want this to keep going and become a belief. You go about your business. I'll put this in your subconscious. Go along, you know, your day. And so mm -hmm. now some version of I don't matter is playing out. We have six between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. Right. Some version of I don't matter shows up thousands of times a day. Yeah. So and so we stay in that stage three often, whether it's because we've survived our traumatic experience and that's it or from just some belief that doesn't serve us that we never bothered to question. Uh, this is really interesting what you're presenting here for a number of reasons, but particularly for myself, from my own perspective, not so much from having felt like I was betrayed, although I, mm -hmm. perhaps I could tie it together that way in some way, but more in terms of that being stuck in, in stage three phenomenon. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I think we can all identify with it. And, and when we talk about law of attraction, what's the one thing we run into the most often? Well, how do I deal with my blocks? How do I deal mm -hmm. with my resistance points and so forth? Why is it so difficult to overcome them? I mean, you're laying out a beautiful case for why it's so difficult. Probably the best case I ever heard, which is interesting. Well, think about it because we get so much from being there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we get, there are so many benefits. Now, here's the thing. When you look at the benefits you're receiving compared to what you could receive, like, for example, you know, yeah, you have your story, but if you're willing to give that up, you have a way better story. Like, look, I could have 
kept my story. The most important people in my life all betrayed me, right? Mm -hmm. But now the story is I run the PBT Institute and, you know, we have thousands of people we're helping all day long and it's changing lives across the globe. That's a way better story, right? Sure. So, or you, and you, you, you're hanging on thinking, well, uh, you know, I just, I'm not ready to let this go. But meanwhile, in hanging on, you're causing uh, a suppressed immune system, accelerated aging. I mean, what you're doing to yourself is, is, and all those stress related issues and diseases. So, you know, but we do, we, we hang on for, for, because of all those benefits. And then the longer we stay there, the more familiar it becomes and the harder it is to leave. Each time that you make reference to how it actually leads to disease in the body, mm -hmm. I'm reminded of something that my sister-in-law told me about one time. She uh, recently got her PhD in statistics. I actually mentioned this on the show earlier this week, so it's a bit of a repeat. But um, she got her PhD in statistics. Before that, though, while she was getting the PhD, she was actually pursuing it in various areas of neuroscience. Mm. And at one point during that part of the journey, she was telling me how she had uh, – realized that in, in in a laboratory situation, it's now possible. In fact, they've, apparently they've actually done this in a few cases. It's now possible to hook a person up to virtually every diagnostic machine we have. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can actually trace everything that goes on in the body where healing or uh, disease is concerned. From the moment of thought is thought to what happens to the nervous system, what happens to the endocrine system, what happens with the circulatory system, you know, how messages get passed along, what kind of messages get passed along, what the result is when you're focusing on something that's happy versus when you're focusing on something that's, that's sad or angry or frustrated or whatever. And apparently it's a 90-second cycle. So from the moment that you incur a thought, let's say it's a very, very happy, positive thought, and you, let's say you have an injury or uh, an illness or something like that, they'll trace it down through the body, through that 90-second time frame to the point of the body where the healing needs to happen. And it's as if all of the army just came and said, okay, we got our orders, heal, and all the cells start to rebuild and the invaders are kissed, kicked out and so forth. Do the same thing with the negative thought, with the angry, frustrated thought, all the signals come down through the system. The orders come down to where the, the fight is, and, and the orders say, kill the host, kill the host, and they start mm -hmm. killing off the body. 90 yeah. seconds. Yeah. It, it, it's That's that's the thing. And, and what people do, though, is they suppress the symptoms. Like, if you imagine an unhealed betrayal here, and I want to get to stage four and five because I don't want to leave your audience hanging. <laughs> well, we're, we're only halfway through, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Okay. So, so if you imagine an unhealed betrayal is at the root, right? Now, all the things that come from it. So let's say you can't sleep. Now you take something to help you sleep. You're, you're anxious. You take something for anxiety. You're, you have joint pain. You take something for that. You have weight gain. You go on a diet. Your adrenals have tanked. You take something for, so what we, you're, now your hormones are crazy. You take something for that too. So what people do is they're addressing all the symptoms without getting to the root. It's like one game of whack-a-mole, you know, mm. where they're just trying to suppress. And until and unless you get to the root of it, it's not going to go away. And that's why, like, for example, how I, I shared 45% of everyone who's been betrayed has a gut issue. Now you can go to the best gut doctor on the planet, but if they don't understand about betrayal, they're only going to take that healing so far. Yeah, I mean, that's true. why with our certification program, we want doctors and, and therapists and all these people to have access to, to how to move someone through the stages so they could have deeper uh, transformations with their clients and patients. 
I kept thinking too about how you were describing uh, 60, 80,000 thoughts a day, and mm-hmm. so many of them are focused on this stuff. And it yeah. just kept occurring to me the 90 second cycle. Every 90 seconds, a new piece of information being sent mm-hmm. down kill the cells, kill the cells, yeah. kill the cells, kill yeah. the cells, kill the cells. It's like, it's amazing we stay alive. It really <laughs> I mean, is. Seriously. It's virtually impossible to be healthy with a negative mind mm. or with unhealed, uh, unresolved betrayal. Yeah, really something. All right, so we, we've made a very thorough case for how devastating this gets. Fortunately, there is a stage four and a stage five. Let's get to that because it's time to do some healing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the part I get so excited about. So here's the thing. If you're willing to let go of the small self-benefits, grieve more than the last bunch of things you need to do, you move to stage four. Stage four is finding and adjusting to a new normal. So here's where you acknowledge, I can't undo my experience, but I control what I do with it. And just in that decision, you're turning down the stress response. Yeah. You're not healing just yet, but at least you stop the massive damage you've been creating in stages two and stage three. Right. And I always use uh, the example of stage four feels like if you've ever moved to a new house, office, condo, apartment, whatever. Your stuff's not all there. It's not quite cozy yet, but it's going to be okay. That's the feeling of stage four. But what's interesting is think about it. If you were to move, you don't bring everything with you. You know, you don't bring the things that don't represent who you want to be. And what I found was if your friends weren't there for you, right here, you've outgrown them. Mm. You don't take them with you. If they don't rise, they don't come. And I hear all the time people say, what the heck? I've had these friends 10, 20, 30 years. Is it me? Yes, it is. You're undergoing a transformation. <laughs> and if they're not matching up to who you're becoming, you may love them for who they are, but you don't take them with you. Very common. That, that's, that's a cool answer, too, because it kind of turns around what the original meaning of that was. You know, what, what, what's wrong with my friends? Well, there's nothing wrong with them. It, 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 and there's nothing wrong with you. What's happened is you've grown. That's it. You, you've gotten better. Yeah. There, I did two TEDx talks. Actually, the first one, Stop Sabotaging Yourself, hmm. uh, speaks to this where, you know, let's say there's one person who dives into personal development. And there's, they're like a kid in, the can, in a candy store and sure. they want to share it with all their friends. But the friends look at them like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Right. So yeah. so what do they do? They, they can either let go of all the personal development stuff because they don't want to outgrow their friendship or... They just keep going and, and, you know, and look at the friends differently. Very, very common. Uh, anyway, when you're in stage four, you're making it cozy mentally. You're making it home. You move to the fifth most beautiful stage. And this is healing, rebirth, and a new worldview. The body starts to heal. Self-love, self-care, eating well, exercise, things like that. Um, you didn't have the head for that earlier. You didn't have the bandwidth. Now you do. The mind is healing. You're making new rules. You're, you're making new boundaries based on the road you just traveled. And you have a new worldview based on everything you've been through. And the four legs of the table in the beginning, it was all about the physical and the mental. By this point, we're solidly grounded because we're focused on the emotional and the spiritual too. Those are the five stages. Now, the obvious question is, stage five sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. You're in stage three. How do you get to stage five? Yeah. You know, here's, I'm going to give you another visual too. You can, if you imagine a trapeze, right? You're holding on to one bar. That's stage three. You can even hold on. Can you see what I'm doing here? You can even hold on to the second bar, right? You're not going at stage four. You're not going anywhere until you let go. Mm. Huge. And, and so many people, they are so tied to the benefits and to the people that they have there and, and, and everything else that that's why they don't grow. And just to sort of close the loop just on my story. 
healing is always a choice, whether you, and rebuilding, whether you rebuild yourself and move on. That's what I did with my family. It wasn't an option to rebuild with them. Or if the situation lends itself, if you're willing, if you want to, you rebuild something entirely new, like from the ground up new with the person who hurt you. And that's what I did with my husband. So not long ago as to transform people, we married each other again. Wow. <laughs> oh my new, goodness. You new vows, new dress, and our four kids is our bridal party. But And I'll show you how this works. When you're in a relationship and then there's been a betrayal, you're so devastated, you're so shocked, you're so hurt, you're so sad, and then you just want that feeling to go away. And the biggest problem, this is where people go wrong, they do this. No. Once there's been that betrayal, and this is your opportunity to grow. So here's what happens. And this is all we do within the PBT Institute. We help that person grow physically, mentally, and emotionally. Now, if you're so tied to this person and you're doing this, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sabotage yourself because you don't want to outgrow them. But you like it here, but you're going to keep sabotaging yourself. And then you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, well, why can't they do this? Because they're not ready. Mm -hmm. So when you do this, but if you're so committed to them, all of a sudden, that day comes where you get this, where they're like, ooh, what happened to you? And you're like, ooh, I'm really not interested in you. So the whole idea is you do the work to get here. If this person, you know, they may say, I better, that's it. I better step up my game to meet the strength of this person. But if they don't, you've simply outgrown them. You go your own way. Either way, if this is where you live, this can't help but show up. So in my case, I, that was the deal breaker. So I did this, my husband on his own, he did this and we met back up here. By the way, since most people are only hearing audio, you have to Oh understand. my goodness, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. What, what Dr. Debbie was doing, she had one hand representing where she was growing to, the other hand where the other person was, and she was raising the first hand much higher than the second hand. That's mm -hmm. where she was describing, well, you're up here and he's down there. And yeah, that's, it makes a whole lot more sense when you know it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> that's all right. No problem. Um, when you were also describing that, I, it, it was making me think about one particular category of people whom I have encountered a lot and who um, it, it, it's very common among young people, often among young women. Mm -hmm. That is, you, it, you see it on social media all the time. People saying, how do I get my ex back? Like, they, mm -hmm. and, and they're all about that. It's like it, it becomes almost yeah. self-consuming the yeah. way that they're trying to do that. And, and I imagine that they're thinking to themselves, well, Dr. Debbie got her ex, her ex back and it all worked out great. Then there must be something I can do. So what can I do with my ex to make him come back? Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. If your ex hasn't completely and totally transformed and you want that ex back, you need a tremendous amount of work. Here's where you do the work because unless and until everything changes, you are the only thing you can expect is more of the same. You know, it's like, there's, after a betrayal, there is a complete and utter death and destruction of the old. That is the only way you can birth the new. But when, what people want to do is they just want to patch it up, patch it up, patch it up, you know? And I use this analogy. I use this in the second TEDx, do you have post-betrayal syndrome? And it was, and it was about a house. And here's the difference between resilience and transformation. Resilience is restoring, bringing back, you know, transformation is a whole trauma and transformation, whole different thing. So using that analogy of a house, let's say the house needs a new boiler. You know, you get a boiler. That's resilience. Let's say it needs a new roof. You get a roof. That's resilience. Here's trauma and transformation. A tornado comes by and levels the house. <laughs> yeah. 
A new mm. boiler's not fixing it, and not a new really. roof's not fixing it, and both aren't fixing it. And here's the thing. You have every right to kick and scream and cry and mourn the loss of your house until your last breath. However, should you choose to rebuild the house, you don't have to, but if you choose to, why in the world would you build the same one? Why not give it, right? Why not give it everything the old house didn't have? Why not make it so much better and so much more beautiful? That's the opportunity. But if all you want to do is get your ex back, who, who's, how do you know what sort of work they've done? How do you know if they've transformed on any level, right? If you just want them back, that's, that's an opportunity for growth. So much. Well, well, plus from what I've seen, most of the people who post this kind of thing, they figure it's the ex's problem. Yeah. They, they want, they want to know what, what can I do to fix the ex? Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to, uh, so much of this does have to do with the ex, but you can't fix them. You can't fix them. They have to want to fix themselves. Like here, I'm going to give you another analogy because these analogies just show you exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. I look at trust like a brick wall. And the only way I know of, to build a brick wall is brick by brick by brick, right? Every opportunity someone has to show that they're trustworthy, that's one brick in the brick wall. But now imagine, imagine, and that's why it takes a long time to build. But imagine now the person who built the brick wall shatters the whole thing. You could look at the rubble of bricks and say, I don't have the least bit of interest in watching that thing get rebuilt. Totally, totally fine. Walk away. However, if you're willing, that would be, that would be the only thing to ask of you, the person whose trust was shattered. The other person has to be a really good bricklayer. And it goes back up the first way it went up the, you know, the way it went up the first time, brick by brick by brick. Every opportunity, they have to show that they're trustworthy. That's one brick in that brick wall. But here's what I see. I see the person shatters the brick wall. The person who's been betrayed, trust is shattered, sees the other, you know, the person who shattered it isn't really all that interested in building the brick wall. So they're like, fine, I'll do it. Mm. No. That's why you never feel safe. That's why you never trust. That's why you don't feel that sense of safety and security. It doesn't work like that. They try to make it work like that. They, they try, try very to. hard. Very, very hard. And that's and that's why they keep having repeat betrayals. Hmm. Because if that's what they think, if that's all they think they, they deserve, if that's, and I get it, they're sad, they're lonely, they're, you know, heartbroken. I understand that. But I also know in the work we do within the, the Institute, this is the opportunity for you to become a version of yourself that will blow your mind. The people, the version that is birthed that we see in stage four or stage five. I mean, they're, they're, these people are, and I see it with our members. They're just so, there's this sense of happiness and joy and confidence. It's earned. It's earned. And there's a saying, and I've been saying this for th my 30 years of business. And everybody, you may want to write this down. That's my way of saying write this down. <laughs> okay, gonna, everybody get your notepad out. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> because it applies to every single thing. Ready? Easy now, hard later. Hard now, easy later. Take Ooh, your like pick. That. It's going to be one of those two. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to healing from betrayal, it is all about hard now, easy later. But what people do is... They don't like the feeling. They don't want to get uncomfortable. They don't want to, they don't want to feel these things. So they just feel, you know, easy now, easy now, easy now. And then the hard later is always there. Well, it also occurs to me that, uh, the idea of safety, the idea mm -hmm. of, you know, it, it, there, there's a, there's a feeling of safety in the similarity of the situation. So mm -hmm. I can, I can kind of 
pretty easily conceive of somebody saying, well, yeah, I do want to build the old house the way it was because that's safe. I know that house. I know exactly. I, I can trust that house. That house works for me. Regardless of what actually happened inside the house, I can trust the house. Well, you know what it is? It's not safe. It's familiar. Mm-hmm. Very big difference. You're hitting all my favorite words. I love this. <laughs> right? Just think about it. If it was safe, the house wouldn't have crashed, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't safe. It was only familiar. Just like just like everything else that it once wasn't, you know, so, uh, familiar. It was unfamiliar. So the whole idea when you're rebuilding yourself from the rubble that betrayal creates, the new version of you and betrayal lends itself to really creating a new identity. You take all the parts you love, you leave behind everything that no longer serves and you build a version of you that is waiting, that is ready to be birthed. But that's, that's because you did the work. It's earned. I love that. I love the fact that you used the word familiar because mm-hmm. what people call the comfort zone, I refuse to call it that. I call it the familiar zone for exactly the yeah. reason you just described. Yeah. So exactly. when that came out of your mouth, I said, Oh, this is great. I'm loving this. Yeah. So it's not safe. <laughs> it is. It's just familiar. That's it. It is. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. mean it's good. In fact, it's usually a case of settling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to settle for this thing because I think that's about the best I can get. That's stage three. That's how you know you're in stage three. You're just thinking that's that resignation. Well, Um, this is the way it's going to be. So I better get used to it. No, it's not. It's what you're settling for. What is it that you think enables people to get out of that? What break, where does the breakthrough come? You know, it, it, it can come from when the, when the, and I mentioned this in the first set when the pain of where you are Mm -hmm. becomes greater than the fear of the unknown. Yeah. That's when you jump, but it's, it's that the pain has to be either the pain has to be so great, uh, or there's just this profound wake up call. And that's where, um, those traumas are the best things ever because they shake you up. They wake you up and they have you questioning things. What you're describing there is bringing to mind a number of interviews I've done lately with people who have become very, very successful in life. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that they all had in common is that very early or relatively early in their life, say first 30 years or so, they came very close to committing suicide. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen either. Somebody interrupted them or they got Mm -hmm. rescued or, you know, something happened. They Mm -hmm. got, they got past that point. And from that point on, they turned their entire lives around and it was like they were on a rocket. And they just flew to a destination they didn't even, they couldn't have even dreamed of when they were dealing with what they were dealing with all those years ago. Exactly. When you see the happiest people, the most successful people, it's not like they haven't been through something. They have perspective and, and the, the gift. And I think everyone's obligation, if you've been through something, you know, you're kind of obligated to share that, shorten someone's learning curve with what you know. But it's, it's that gift of, you know, what darkness is. So you can appreciate, you know, joy. It's it's a very different perspective. But if you haven't been through something, you're sort of coasting in the middle. That doesn't mean it's good. You're just coasting. I'm reminded of two different quotes that I heard. Um, one comes from Will Smith, the actor. He was doing uh, sort of a, a live stream little thing on his phone that he posted on Instagram. And he was talking about the role that failure plays not just in an actor's development, but in anybody's development and how he, he was really waxing poetic about the value of failure and how you, 
the really successful people have no fear of failure. They fail over and over and over and over until they finally succeed. And everybody says, whoa, what an amazing person that is. They just, it was so easy for them. Well, it wasn't easy. They went through all these failures to get there in the first place, but they just didn't allow it to stop them. Whereas yes. the people who don't get there, they, they get stopped by it. And I, I know what that's like to be stopped by it. I know, mm -hmm. I know what that feels like. So when, so when he said that was that was meaningful to me. The other thought that came to my mind, um, the the movie The Secret, which of course kind of kicked off the modern LOA movement. One of the lines in there that really sticks out in my mind comes from Jack Canfield, who was of course the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, and and he's talking about these traumas that that go on, these messages that we get when we're growing up, and all this kind of thing. And his response is, well, everybody has those, so that's kind of like so what. Mm -hmm. But your point here is, yeah. So what? Yeah. It's a different way of looking at the same thought. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's all our perspective. There could be two people in traffic. It's the exact same thing for the two of them. You mm -hmm. can look and you see one banging on the steering wheel and drowning in a sea of stressed induced hormones, right? And then you look on the other lane and there's someone, you know, listening to music, catching up on phone calls, relaxing. And it's the same thing. Right. It's the same thing. What the meaning we're making of something and how we move through it makes all the difference in our happiness, in our health, in all of it. So I'm going to ask you a question that ties in directly to what my philosophy has evolved into, which is that much more than most of us realize, we always have the option to choose whatever it is we're going to choose about how we're going to experience and respond to and react to, including emotionally, to anything that happens in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time that that concept was presented to me, my first initial reaction was, that's impossible. But as time went on, I had plenty of great teachers. That's one of the nice things about doing a podcast for 10 years. You get great, great teachers. Let me tell you, anybody you want good teachers, start a podcast. You'll love it. But the point is I had some great teachers who kept kind of working on me as we're talking about all these different topics. And over time, I began to dare to experiment with, well, can I have a different, is it possible to have a different response than the quote programmed unquote response that you're supposed to have when a, a sad situation happens or a happy situation happens? Is it possible to experience what is normally called a sad situation and you have a happy response to it or you have a laughing response to it? Or is that possible? And I was kind of, I shouldn't have been amazed, but I actually was kind of amazed. You really can. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And over time, I've learned more and more how to do that in my own life, and I've been encouraging other people to do the same. It sounds like that's a that's a key portion of step five in, in your transformational stages. You're you're questioning, you're questioning your beliefs. You know, question everything, especially mm. what you think, right? Mm. Because just because a belief is there doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's right. It just means it's yours, right? So we can question all of it and we're adults. We could, we could create whatever belief we want. A be all a belief is, is the repetition of an idea from someone you trust. That's yes. it. Someone said something enough times you believed them. It became your belief. And oddly enough, you can be the person you trust. Mm -hmm. But if Which it doesn't is... serve, let it go. That's, yes. that's what we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually that's been a portion of a big portion of what I've been working on learning to trust myself. Learning to, first of all, dare to choose a different choice from what I've typically chosen for scenario X in the past. Mm -hmm. And secondly, once I had done that a few times, allowing myself to believe that was me. Mm -hmm. I'm the authority who came up with that one. I don't mm -hmm. have to look to somebody else for validation 
or for the idea itself or for encouragement to do it, I, I can actually, I can draw within to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, self-trust is huge. I mean, we take that on during our five-day trust again intensive because one of the biggest things that happens when uh, when there's been a betrayal of shattering of trust is the shattering of self-trust. Because think about it. Now, the, the person we trusted the most, we can't trust them. And then we don't trust ourselves because we think, I'm a great person. How did I not see this coming? How did I not know? So if I can't trust the person I trusted the most and I don't trust myself, well, then how in the world can I trust in anything or anyone? So the ripple effect is enormous and self-trust yeah. is huge. Ripple. That's a good word. Because I think about the, the imagery that we associate with that, like putting an oar in the water and the, mm -hmm. you know, the water ripples away. And if you have a large enough body of water, the ripples are continuous. Mm -hmm. They just keep exactly. going and going and going. And you get a bunch of ripples going on. And they start intersecting and crossing with each other and so forth. It's a really great analogy for what happens when we do anything in life, mm -hmm. anything at all, good, bad, indifferent. I don't care what it is. The ripples just go on and on and yep. on. So it really does pay to kind of take control and say, okay, what kind of ripples am I going to put out there? Mm -hmm. Of course, of course, because it affects, think about it. If let's take a parent, right? And that parent uh, was trust was shattered and they didn't learn how to, how to trust again. Well, then the, of course that's going to affect the kids. They don't know how to trust and they don't know, you know, who's representing trust and safety and security. I mean, it, it, it's, it's enormous. This is actually then the root of generational trauma. This, you know what, we really need to heal these things at the root. And it is so easy to repeat something. It's harder to break the chain. But when you do, you're free. I mean, we don't have to keep this going. There's a, like I said, there's a roadmap. You can heal from all of it. You talked about the importance of tying in not just the physical and the mental, but also the emotional and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And we've talked, we've been touching quite a bit on the emotional side. Let's touch on the spiritual side for a bit mm -hmm. here, um, which is going to be a little bit tricky because everybody has different spiritual beliefs. So mm -hmm. my first question is, how do you accommodate for that in what you teach? Yeah, well, you know, I'll just tell you what the study proved. So the study showed that we moved towards every everyone move towards either the spiritual side of their religion. Some abandoned religion completely. They felt it wasn't serving them or they weren't really practicing anything and became spiritual. And I was really curious about this. You know, what, why is this happening? Well, really for two reasons. One, it, we feel so disconnected from everything we had been connected to. So we need this sense of connection. So it provided that. And the second thing was with the shattering of trust, we can't trust ourselves. We can't trust the betrayer. We don't trust anybody. We kind of eventually, well, at least I can trust in something bigger other than me. So it was really valuable in that way. And it's really a, um, a really important piece in moving towards post-betrayal transformation. If somebody is uh, coming from one of those places, like you just described, they, they, they've kind of perhaps left the religion behind or they've mm -hmm. dramatically uh, changed the way they thought about religious values or something mm -hmm. along that line, that, that's a new area. Now, now all of a sudden they're, they're in uncharted territory, so to speak, at least for mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And that can be something that will drive you back to your, your familiar zone, your safety zone. So mm -hmm. how do you deal with that? Because it's not, it, I mean, emotions, we can read up a lot about emotions, physical, everybody can talk about physical, mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff about mental, the spiritual side, that's a little bit more dicey because 
you have so many different viewpoints from so many different religions and spiritual journeys and so right. forth. Well, here's where you, you, you tap, you have to learn to, to trust this again with self-trust and also to trust your intuition, your wise inner guide, your highest self. And if something doesn't feel right to you, then it's worth questioning. But what happens is, and, and especially with religion, we're told to, and taught, don't question it. Well, yeah. why is that? Because what, what would unravel if we do, right? So, you know, it, it's everybody's entitled to believe whatever they want. And if it makes, if it works for them, if it makes them feel good, that's wonderful. But if the rule is you can't question this, you just can't. Well, how does that feel in your body? Does that feel true and right to you? And if you were to question it, yeah, the whole thing may unravel. And, and again, just because it's a belief doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's true. So I'm not suggesting anything other than question everything that doesn't feel right. Just because that belief has been handed down over and over and over and over and over again, doesn't make it any more uh, solid. It just makes it said that much more. That's all. And speaking as one who very early in his young life uh, pretty much le left an abandoned religion behind him, took a while to, to find my bearings after that. But once mm -hmm. I found my bearings, best decision I ever made. Yeah. And, and you but, know, and, and I remember one of the, the best gifts I gave myself was uh, just the gift of curiosity. And I said, just because mm -hmm. I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. And that's that's helped me in so many different areas. This has been great. I mean... First of all, Dr. Debbie, thank you for taking the time to do this. Secondly, you can't leave without giving people more information about how to find out, you know, okay, how do I learn about this? How do I start applying it? Maybe I mm -hmm. might even want to join your, uh, your your task force, so to speak. Mm -hmm. How do they find you? Everything is at the PBT, as in post-betrayal transformation, the pbtinstitute.com. They could take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, the healed or hardened quiz. They could see what stage they're in. Uh, they can sign up for our upcoming Trust Again intensive. Uh, join our, our community where you work with our certified coaches. I mean, and everything everything we do is to know what stage you're in and just literally move you from one stage to the next till you're through stage five and beyond. And then you're, you graduate, you're done. What, what, what's, what's that uh, five day intensive about that? You know, this is just a deep dive jump start into learning how to trust again. So, and it's like the fifth or sixth time I've done it. And yeah. some people come back three, four times. They get so wow. much out of it. It's like, if you've ever read a book more than once, you know, you're in a different place. So you get more out of it and you're going to learn where trust was shattered originally. It may not be where you think. Uh, you're going to see the version of you who is able to trust. You're going to absolutely see that vision of you. We're going to learn to strengthen uh, your boundaries and BS meter. I mean, there are so many things we do in five days. It's an amazing, amazing five-day immersive experience. Gee, I wish you could get more enthusiastic about it. <laughs> <laughs> doing what I love. I can tell. That's wonderful. I love that you're doing what you love. Yeah. I mean, it's something I talk about a lot, encouraging people to do it, because it's not something that gets encouraged a lot today. So when I get a guest like you, who obviously so patently loves what you're doing, I just smile from head to toe. Well, I mean, think about it. Portrayal stinks. But, yeah. it, you know, if you can... We see we see our members every single day from from the excuse me the point of they couldn't they couldn't get out of bed to now these new businesses these new relationships a new relationship with their partner or a new relationship with someone else new passion projects all birthed because they were willing to take that 
to, to take that opportunity and trust enough in themselves enough to do something. Love it. Dr. Debbie Silver, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. We appreciate it. Thank you, live streamers, and thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.